done, Garrett. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Wait, wait, okay. We could just edit that out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, or we should keep it. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. We should. Um, good morning, everybody. Uh, this is Garrett and John. It is currently 1.49 in the afternoon. Um, but it might be morning where you are. And if it is, good morning to you. Uh, my name is Garrett. And I'm John. And this is Bible Babble. Where we babble about the Bible. Yes, yes. And maybe even babble about the Tower of Babel. Mm, who knows? It's who in knows? the Bible. It is. Yeah, so I'm Garrett. Um, we both attend Tacoa Falls College. Um, I am a senior. This is my last semester. Wow. wow. Um, John, last semester. What, what, uh, what year are you? So this is also my senior year. Two semesters left. Garrett is my roommate, and yep. uh, he will be leaving me very shortly. Yes. I'll have to discover a new one. So, yeah. I am 20 and a half. I uh, just had my half birthday a couple weeks ago. Mm. We we celebrated. We didn't. They forgot. All my friends forgot my half birthday. I'm also 20 years old, and I am um, 20 and a quarter yep. coming up this this November. Oh, really? Happy early quarter birthday. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, so, John, what is Bible Babble? So, Bible Babble, as I said in broad terms, is a babbling about the Bible. You know, okay. we come and we talk about um, all kinds of topics throughout the scriptures, and we're coming from a standpoint uh, where we are seeking to understand, you know, what the scriptures are saying, and yeah. us as students of the scriptures and um, students at Tacoma Falls College where we study the Bible. There's a lot of questions, uh, a lot of curiosity um, that is that is sparked, you know, and yeah. so we want to kind of discuss that and use this as a platform to freely um, discuss those issues and talk about them, see if we can come to any conclusions. If not, that's fine too, but we are um, curious and inquisitive and intrigued by the scriptures and we want to uh, use this as a space to talk about that. Yeah, yeah. chances are most of these discussions we will probably end with more questions than we started with and <laughs> less answers. Um, John and I have conversations all the time about the Bible hmm. uh, where, where we do talk about our questions, things that we're wrestling with, things that we're thinking about. All the time. Um, but we wanted to start a podcast, uh, hope, hoping that these discussions can benefit others, hoping that it can benefit you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So we were actually originally thinking about, as we were going through names, possible names for the podcast, <laughs> yeah. we were thinking about naming it Reader 102, it's which is the name of our, our room, yeah. our location. Um, just because that's where these conversations most naturally happen. Yeah. And, you know, I think a lot of these conversations are have the potential for being beneficial to other people. And so instead of keeping those conversations within the four walls of our own dorm room, we would like to, you know, make it public and hopefully allow that to be something that benefits others yeah. and gets others thinking too. So. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Garrett, what is our first topic that we want to dive into today? There will be a plethora of topics coming. Yes, plethora of topics. 
Um, but today, today we wanted to talk about kind of our approaches to reading the Bible, just very basic. Like, what is our philosophy when, when we're coming to the scriptures, seeking to understand them? Like what, what kind of assumptions are we bringing with us about the Bible? Mm. So, uh, I'll start. Go on. Um, and in approaching the Bible, I am assuming that what is written is written for my understanding. Mm. It's written so that I can understand it according to its original meaning. And its original meaning is, that's a, that's a big topic with a lot of, baggage as you would say yes um because the original meaning has a lot to do with the original historical context and people who are receiving it and i mean it, it, there's so much that goes into that um but i believe that with with everything involved in that process we are able to understand the bible mm-hmm. like the bible you 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 come to it and it has objective meaning the author was meaning something whenever he penned it. Um, the Holy Spirit had a specific objective meaning when he penned it. Mm. Um, I believe that firmly. And, and that's that's what I'm seeking to understand whenever I come to the Bible. Mm. Definitely. Yeah, uh, I would agree with all of that. Um, I'd also add just like in my history of reading the Bible as a Christian... Um, I would say I began making a lot of what you would call hermeneutical mistakes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a lot yeah, of me too. A lot of taking verses out of context. A lot of kind of making the Bible mean what I want it to mean, and kind of but meaning well. Yeah, certainly. Like I'm, I'm coming to the Bible. I'm like, you know, this is a place where I can find encouragement, can find um, guidance, yeah. can find um, instruction, all these kinds of things. And unfortunately, you know, just for a lack of, you know, education in certain areas, I just didn't know how to do that properly. Yeah. yeah. And so there was a lot of, I would say, misapplication of certain verses. And so when I came to the Bible, you know, in the past, I was immediately thinking application. Yeah. That was my first thought, you know. Okay, how, what can I get out of this that's going to help me today? Yeah. And then I read, like, some laws in Leviticus. I'm like, <laughs> well, I don't, I don't really know how this is going to help me with uh, conflicts with my siblings today or something. <laughs> right, like that. So, right. so it's just stuff like that, um, just kind of a misunderstanding. And as I've, you know, studied more and even just coming to Coe Falls College has helped a ton yeah. in understanding just primarily, first and foremost, digging into the context, um, looking into you know, you're talking about the original meaning. What is the original meaning? Mm-hmm. Why was this written to this audience? You know, it was written originally to a specific audience. Yeah. Um, of course, it's for us, but we have to first look at the, the primary and original audience yeah. in context. And so yeah. I think that is, establishing that is certainly of utmost importance before coming to any applications for our own lives, you know. Yeah. And, and I've, I've got to be honest about application Rarely do I come to the Bible like seeking application. Like if application comes out of what I'm studying, then so be it, and and I and I'll allow that to influence and change my life. Hmm. 
but even just coming to it and understanding a little bit more about God is really influencing like mm. the, the way I'm thinking, the way I live. Yeah, um, which is application. Which is application. In a sense, yeah. Um, but I don't, I don't want to put things on the text or ask questions of the text that it's not seeking to answer. Yeah, yeah. Certainly, yeah. And I think I made a lot of those mistakes. Yeah, me too. Uh, you know, early on in my career here at Scott Falls College, um, especially as it comes to like creation accounts and yeah, things like that. Right, right. And it's like. I was expecting the Bible to, you know, kind of communicate scientific truths when the Bible does not claim to do that, or that's yeah. not its intended meaning, you know? Yeah. And so that's just an, an example. Um, but, yeah, overall, just to answer the original question, I would say um, my approach is first establishing the context and then moving from that understanding into um, any intended application, universal for all time. Right, application right. for Christians. Right, yeah. 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 And, and certainly there there are teachings or passages in the Bible that are specifically for application. When Jesus says, Love your enemies, do good to those mm. who, who persecute you, pray for or pray for those who persecute you, do good to those who harm you. He's 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 not saying it in, in, in hyperbole or Metaphorically, he yeah. he means what he's saying. Yeah, definitely. And there is application in that meaning. Um, but if I'm, I don't know. Like, uh, particularly with like narratives where where we take a narrative and we kind of try to find moral lessons, such as uh, the the boy that shares his lunch with Jesus. Yeah. It's it's a good moral lesson in sharing. Well. No, it's <laughs> Jesus demonstrating his divine authority to provide for people. Yeah. And to provide in abundance and in <laughs> excessive amount mm. from the smallest offerings. And if anything, that boy's lunch might have been stolen from him by Andrew. <laughs> we don't really know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is funny. Yeah. And I think I just think back to like a lot of experiences I had in Sunday school. Yeah. Just like children's church, I guess, and just kind of the a lot of misapplication that occurred there. Yeah. And how um, just these things that you're taught from a very young age, mm-hmm. you know, looking back on them and looking back at the text, like, well, I, I think they missed the point there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, unfortunately. But um, I mean, that's what happens, you know, when you we don't establish the context first. I can remember, uh, let's see, I was, I was little. Um, elementary school definitely um, and, and I was preparing this little presentation on the book of Jonah and I made the mistake of not reading the book of Jonah <laughs> and instead going off of the Jonah VeggieTales movie which completely gets the story wrong like there I mean I guess it gets the general bone structure but I remember thinking like <laughs> I remember thinking that Jonah and the sailors were about to get executed because that's what happens in the VeggieTales movie. Yeah. Like they get they get captured by the I don't know the the Assyrians, but I mean they're not Assyrians because it's VeggieTales. Well, yeah, I thought VeggieTales was inerrant. No, no, it's not. No, it's, uh, no, it's uh, 
thought for thought translation. Oh, okay. So it's more like a NIV message, more message kind of. Well, yeah, yeah. Eugene Peterson E. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Good um, to know. And yeah, I just completely missed a lot of the story because I was just going off of what was in that cartoon movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Deceived. Yeah, I think Tim Mackey calls that the VeggieTales effect. <laughs> <laughs> so, we talk about context. Yeah. What like what exactly does that mean? What are the different <clears throat> aspects of the context? Oh man, I need a textbook in front of me. Right. Um, well, we have to understand the sender and the recipient. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have to understand um, a bunch of different textures. Uh, so there, there are like five different textures that you can think about. So there's the, the social, the historical, the... Uh, oh, shoot. Cultural kind of blends in with historical. Sense. Yeah, yeah, but but history historical can also go into like what's what's going on geopolitically. What else is going on in the world? Hmm. Hmm. Um, I'm trying to remember. Literary. Yeah, literary. That is important. Literary um, context. Yeah, yeah. There's, and and all of those things influence how how we are interpreting the text. Exactly. Or it should. Absolutely. Because these books were written by people for people in a specific mm. time in history yeah. and in a specific culture yeah. that is entirely different and separate than our own. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's it's so easy to read it from a very Western or American lens. And I mean, how else can we yeah, read exactly. it naturally? Exactly. Right? And so it's like when you skip this context, that's what you're going to naturally do. And you're going to naturally come to yeah. false conclusions, yeah. unfortunately, and misapplication. So, yeah, literary genre, just like, I'm trying to think of an example. So, thinking of Genesis 1 through 11, some would call that prose narrative. And so, prose narrative is more um, kind of mythological literature in general. It's not necessarily like these are historical events, kind of like. First and Second right. Chronicles, First and Second Kings. Those are, those are historical books. That's the genre of, of those books. Um, and so, you take into account the literary context of a book in the Bible, a passage, mm-hmm. whatever. We're looking at the genre, mm-hmm. and we're determining. Yeah, genre is big. Yeah, yeah, you know, we're determining how should this text be interpreted based off of this genre. Should mm-hmm. we interpret this as historical events that actually happened? Or is this is this more poetic? You know, like Job, the Psalms, all those things. Yeah. Um, rather than trying to convey actual historical events, mm-hmm. that's an example. The the purpose of the book is is another really important factor. Um, mm. And and some authors are explicit in the purpose of the book, mm. like uh, John the, John the Apostle tells us. Uh, at the end of his gospel, why he's writing? He's writing so that his listeners can. <laughs> John just hit his head on the microphone. Oh, funny. My bad, my bad. But but John says he's writing so that we can believe. Hmm. And and then we, we we look at the beginning of Luke's gospel. Luke is writing Theophilus, 
so that Theophilus can have certainty concerning mm-hmm. the things yeah, uh, yeah. that he's been taught. Very explicit um, purpose. Yeah. And other other books aren't really that clear. Mm. Um, which which is fine, I guess, but we as interpreters are coming and we kind of have to figure out sometimes, piece yeah. together yeah. Uh, through use of like clues in the text. Yeah, definitely. Um, in the historical context of of what the purpose of the book is. Yeah. I think most of the time, the books that do not explicitly state a purpose for writing, um, you can kind of find that as you're reading. You know, you can kind of look at, you're saying, clues through the text. And most of the time, if you come to the end of a book um, and you've read the entire thing, you know, paid close attention to the details and things like that, you can at least guesstimate a rough idea of what the purpose of the book was. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so for the majority of the time, you can you can locate a, a purpose. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think a big part for for me as I interpret the Bible are these assumptions that I'm carrying with me. Mm. Um, and I think that's true for all biblical interpreters. Um, we we have these these sets of assumptions that we can bring uh, to the text, whether it's uh, our westernized worldview or lens, um, or it's messages we've heard from past sermons, or it's theological assumptions. Mm. You know, we, we assume God operates in certain ways, and so we we build up these frameworks um, in which in which we believe God operates. Um, that that often influences how I. Interpret. I'm not saying that's good or bad necessarily, um, but I really am after what the author um, intended me to receive. Yeah, as you should be. And and it's interesting because like this this idea of taking the the historical context and you know to use a fancy word exegeting the scriptures yeah. is something beyond just Christian text. Like this is something that yeah, that yeah, people sure. like who know what they're doing literarily, and want to understand it and interpret it properly, mm-hmm. just do, you know, and that's with any piece of literature, because yeah. that's just proper interpretation, you know. And so it's not like it's something that's just exclusively Christian or is like super new or unique to Christianity. Yeah, it's like that's, that's how true. you that's interpret true. literature. Yeah. Yeah. So this, uh, I wanted to bring this question up because I think this was something, a belief or an assumption that I had coming into college that kind of shifted, I would say. Um, it's on the topic of inspiration. Oh, boy. Yeah. On the topic One of the of big eyes. And I remember, Garrett, you and I took a introduction to theology class together with Dr. Venna. Oh, yeah, we did. Um, which I thoroughly enjoyed, and I believe you did, too. Yep. Um, but he talks about the different views of inspiration. Mm-hmm. And I, as he was listing the different views, oh, yeah, I yeah, kind of yeah. saw myself, you know, reflecting on what what I believed and saw myself kind of uh, relating more to one of those views or leaning more towards one than, than others. And I had certain thoughts about other views that I thought were too loose or some that yeah. I thought were too, too strict. And I just wanted to hear your thoughts on, on that, what your view on inspiration is. Yeah, I, uh, I'm one of those crazy people who 
believe in the verbal plenary theory mm. um, and dual authorship. Those, those two. Mm. That's 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 what I think. So the idea that every single word in in the Holy Scriptures are inspired by God and not there on accident, hmm. um, which I do think coincides with the idea of dual authorship, where where the, the writer of Hebrews can can justly say, let me let me see what he says, but but yeah. essentially. I think it's David. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He talks about... He says the Holy Spirit wrote this. Yeah, yeah. And then in the same breath, and or I guess a chapter later or something, he says that David wrote it. Uh, mm. Let's see. Um, or, or he says that Christ, when he came into the world, uh, and, he, and he quotes uh, an Old Testament passage from, um, from Psalm 40. Mm-hmm. But he says that Christ said it. And, and, and it's like there's this assumption that the writer of Hebrews has that if, if, it's, if it is in the Hebrew Bible, then it's, it is inspired by the Holy Spirit, Definitely. while it is also written by the author who penned it. Definitely. And, and that's, that's, that's how I view the entirety of the Old and New Testaments, yeah. is this dual authorship Luke wrote the book of Luke, but so did the Holy Spirit. Yeah, definitely. And we, there's a verse in Hebrews chapter 3, starting in verse 7. It says, Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, and then he goes on to quote the Old, the Old Testament. He said, Today, if you hear yeah, 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 yeah. do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness. And he continues to quote. You know, there's Old Testament quotes all over Hebrews. Yeah. Um, and then you have a verse that very clearly um, addresses inspiration in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. This is is from the NASB. It says, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So, but I guess, how exactly would you, how exactly would you define inspiration? I mean, I guess that, that was kind of the question that we Asked yeah. from the beginning, but like in a general sense, the idea of God inspiring a text. Yeah. How would we communicate that? Would it be too simplistic to say, and I'm just asking a question, I'm not saying mm-hmm. one way or the other, but is it too simplistic to say that inspiration by God simply means like breathed out by God? Like yeah. As and I mean, and that's how some translations translate the verse that I just read. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's just another way to say that God inspired it. Yeah, that's read that's it out by him. And I guess the version says. Yeah, and I guess the question that we were asked from the beginning is kind of the degree of inspiration, or God's, the degree of God's involvement and influence in mm-hmm. what's written. I guess is what we're trying to get at. Yeah. Right. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I can remember one example that Dr. Vinna gave. This is a year and a half ago, but but I still remember. So like yeah, he yeah. says, he says like a, a secretary who knows uh, his boss so well that that the secretary can write a letter to somebody on behalf of of the person he's working for, mm. as if the person he's working for actually wrote it, mm. and and. 
personally, I think that is a bit too weak. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. Go on. Go on. Yeah, that's that's it. Yeah, I just I do I do particularly remember that that view as well, and I remember just almost <laughs> wincing or cringing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was like, this this cannot be the way that the way that God has inspired the scriptures. Um, I will say. I remember there being a theory or a view that was was labeled as the dictation theory. Mm-hmm. And I remember, you know, that was a very like word for word yeah. like God almost almost bringing these authors under a trance. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, trance. You know, to to kind of just you know, it, be brought into their body and make them write the words they're writing. And yeah. if I was being 100% honest, that was actually where I stood at the time. Yeah, I if, for myself. Yeah, that'd be true for me too. Um, trying to go back to that mindset. I can now look back on that, you know, in hindsight and see, you know, the errors of that and where that was faulty. But from that, at that point, that is where, that is where it was. That's how I viewed yeah. the scriptures, in all honesty. And I and I thought anything less than that was a disrespect and disregard for the authority and credibility of the scriptures. Yeah. Yeah. It was a. Uh, Close-minded perspective, for sure. But, like I said, that is that's just another one of those examples of how TFC education has opened my eyes. To, yeah. You know, in terms of interpreting the Bible. Yeah. Good. Yeah. That's good. There's a uh, there's a controversial passage mm. at the end of Mark's gospel. Oh. Oh boy. Yeah. John John knows where I'm going with this. Well. Yes. It's assumed, it's assumed that the last bit of chapter 16, the last chapter in Mark, um, there's, there's a bit at the end, and it's assumed that it was added on later by, by others who were writing the gospel. Kind Starting of in verse 9. Uh, yeah, beginning in, in verse 9. And it's, it's really interesting the way it's written. It's, Mark is... He writes his gospel really quickly. Like, there's the, what's it, I forget what it's called, but a characteristic of Mark's gospel is is that it, there's an urgency to it. Oh, yeah, certainly. Um, immediately. Immediately, yeah. Like, the first five chapters you see immediately, like, so many times. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Um, but but then, you know, in verse 9 of 16, where, where it's assumed that this section was, uh, added on later, it like completely changes the style. Like it, yeah. You read it and it just, yeah, feels different. Yeah, immediately. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> immediately you notice yeah. a difference. <laughs> and immediately there was another author. <laughs> um, and I can see why the whoever was was what's the word? Is it transcribing? Yeah. yeah. Whoever was transcribing it. They were like, okay, this is weird. Mark completely left it at a cliffhanger. This is this is the yeah. last verse of the supposedly original um, Gospel of Mark. Yeah, yeah. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. And that's the end of the Gospel. Yeah. And so there could have been a transcriber who was like, man, that's... Don't seem right to end here. Yeah, you know? it's loose, loose ends, I guess. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> um, 
And so the question I have for you, John, is is would you would you ever consider preaching off of this passage? Would you ever preach on mm. Mark 16, 9 through 20? That's a good question. I like that question a lot. And I would, me personally, I would say no. Um, I would say if I don't believe that there is sound evidence that um, this passage is actually supposed to be a part of the, the canon, okay, uh, the inspired scriptures, then I'm not going to go into preach off of it. And, you know, it's this is different than the passage in John chapter 8 about the woman caught in adultery, mm-hmm. I think, mm-hmm. because the that story seems to convey and reaffirm a lot of theological truths that are already established in other areas of scripture yeah about god's character in the yeah, character of certainly. christ the yeah. mercy of god yep. you know and so i think here we run into different a different issue like yeah uh-huh. i think here especially Let's see, it says in verse 16, He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. And so just this, I mean, this almost very clearly seems to convey that the author is intending to demonstrate a, a you know, a believer, believer has to be baptized to be saved. Hmm. And that is that is something that contributes to their salvation. Uh, what so verse is that? That's... Mark 16, verse 16. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. And so, I mean, that that I think is a a instruction or a theological idea that contradicts other areas of Scripture. As well as these these bizarre marks of the believer, they will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. So it's... There are biblical themes in here, but it's, okay, we, we see some of these things in, in the book of Acts, which I think yeah. this, this transcriber might be getting at some of those things, but never does anybody drink deadly poison and it not hurt them. Yeah, and I think this is almost like uni- a universal prescription, it seems like, saying that this is what happens at all times for all characterization of believers yeah yeah. and i think a lot of people have used this passage and said like yeah if if you don't show or demonstrate these signs then you're not a believer yeah and i think you there's so much danger in that absolutely and the same thing with 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 the baptism i mean all kinds of things yeah um (laughs) i think this is this is the passage or at least one of the main passages that motivates snake handling churches yeah, <laughs> unfortunately yeah. and so i think i mean that's an, an that's obvious right. danger an obvious um misapplication i think this was obviously inserted uh, like you said it it is seemingly so out of place yeah you know literally just visually yeah, out of place yeah. so out of place out there. <laughs> um yeah. i mean it, like i said if this seemed to be more congruent with the rest of the Bible, the rest of the theology that the scriptures present, then I would consider it, but this is just too obscure. Okay, so so this this touches on a topic that I think is really fascinating. Yeah. So we don't have any autographs mm. of, of biblical books. Like autograph being 
the original or original document that um, a biblical author penned. Yeah. Um, we don't have a single one. Yeah. Um, and so, kind of riffing off that idea, there are books in the Bible, particularly in the prophets, that were most likely not written as like as like you have an autograph form, but rather uh, there is a process of writing and compiling. Take the book of Psalms, for example. Yeah, yeah. This, for this sure. collection of songs and psalms um, written across, I mean, I don't know, centuries? I, I would assume, yeah. And then compiled centuries. by, I think it's assumed Ezra compiled them mm. um, and, and ordered them according to the five books. Yeah. Um, so there, there's not an autographed copy of the Psalter. Yeah. Um, and so, as, as with that idea in mind, we, we come to this weird passage in Mark. Um, how, how does that idea correspond with, with your idea of inspiration? Like, mm. That's a good question. How involved is the Holy Spirit? And is it, could it ever be possible uh. that the Holy Spirit was so involved in this passage in Mark, that it too could be inspired. Mm. So it, are you getting more at like the Holy Spirit's guidance in the process of canonization? Uh, like choosing, I mean, not necessarily. Okay. Um, but choosing what is scripture and what is not. Yes. Yeah. In a sense. Yeah. 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 Uh, that's interesting because we went over this in our New Testament class that we also had together. Oh, I don't remember this. We did? Yeah. Okay, yeah. okay. And there were a few principles that Dr. Herringer said are necessary and required for um, a text to be considered inspired by God. Okay. And the reason for this is because there were a plethora of texts in that time, especially when yeah. we get to, um, you know, New Testament false ones like the Gospel of Thomas and right. all these other things. Yeah. So, you know, and, and the Apocrypha. The Apocrypha some in, in what some Bibles would have in the, the Old Testament, you know, the, mm -hmm. um, so yeah, there was, there was a reason that this came up and this was, this was in a sense an issue that had to be brought up. And from what I remember, some of the principles that these, these texts had to, you know, include, it had to almost pass a test. It seemed, yeah. um, they had to Go include like, like, apostleship is like something about the author has to be someone in in of credibility yeah. you know someone of credibility and so like with the the gospel of um thomas i think it wasn't necessarily the author was the problem but it was the content mm -hmm. and the content did not hold to um the regla fide the regla fide was what like what is regla fide the regla fide i mean that's latin for like it's it has to hold to a certain theological creed almost like it can't bypass other um the theology that the scriptures that they had at the time already affirmed mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so it had to be congruent theologically yeah. with the scriptures that we already had at the point um that were obviously inspired by god yeah um so you have the regla fide you have the the authorship, the credibility of the author. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right, huh? I'm trying to remember the other ones. 
were three or four. And I remember writing them down. I might actually have them in my notes. Um, but, yeah, let me check that real quick. I remember there being a bit on... Particularly for the Old Testament, if New Testament authors reference the Old Testament mm. as scriptures to say, oh, yeah, yeah, as yeah. it is written, or as the prophet Isaiah wrote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is what I have in my notes. The It's ancient, apostolic, acknowledged throughout Christian community. Apostolic? Yeah, it says apostolic. This might have to do with more of the, the New Testament, of the, the New Testament scriptures. Okay. Okay. Obviously, more than the old. Oh, Testament right. Apostles. So yeah, the, the New Testament has to be written by the apostles. Yeah, yeah, um, and knowledge throughout the Christian Christian community, theologically orthodox, and that that's where the regular fide okay. comes in. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, it, okay, I also yeah. wrote in here that the canon. The New Testament and Old Testament together was finalized in the fourth century, um, and so it was a was a process. Yeah, it was a process it was. of discovery. Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't it wasn't a creation of the canon. It wasn't a process of creating a canon, but more discovering a canon. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, it largely influenced or not influenced. It was sparked. The catalyst of it was. The heretic Marcion, mm. who, yeah, who yeah. wrote his or who came up with his own canon. Yeah. So he he was like, okay, we're out with the Old Testament, out with Matthew because Matthew's a little bit too Old Testamenty. Yeah, yeah. And Hebrews is definitely not. Yep, yeah, not can't can't have Hebrews references too much of the Old Testament. <laughs> Because because his whole idea was it has to be completely centered and only about Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, which, which, like, he completely messed up. Jesus, <laughs> Jesus was himself claimed a Jew. He is the king of the, the yeah. Jews, right? I mean, I mean, <laughs> yeah, literally. And Jesus himself claimed, like, it is these scriptures. It is the law that testifies about me. Yeah, yeah. You know, the laws that the at the road to Emmaus is when yeah. he said that. Um, so and Marcion completely missed the point and yeah, he messed did. up his whole purpose. He did, and. In the the early church fathers, they like they they understood, they recognized that right away. Yeah. Um, but it did it did bring to light the idea that oh shoot, there's no canon. Yeah, this is an issue that. Yeah, what bugs are in the canon? Yeah. yeah, and of course, there's still controversy on that today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, many of the Catholics have eighty. They have two yeah, books. They, they include the apocrypha. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, Marcionism is is interesting because, in in one sense, he he also affirmed that the God of the Old Testament and the New Testament were different. Really? Yeah. It, was that Marcion? I believe that was Marcion. I believe that went along with, with one of his beliefs. And it's interesting because that kind of creeps into belief in in certain churches in today as well. Huh. Like it almost seems that yeah, some absolutely. people claim that the God of the Old Testament is completely different yeah. and too angry, too harsh, too strict. Too harsh. Yeah, yeah. That's right, yeah. That's right. And, I mean, if you really dig deep enough, you find, and of course Jesus claims that 
I'm the one who reveals it to God. Right. If you, you know? have seen Jesus, then you know the Father. If you reject Jesus, then you reject the Father. Yeah. But like I said, of course, if you yeah. if you dig deeper, you find that it, it is the Old Testament scriptures that are pointing to Jesus this whole time. Yeah. I mean, there's the example of the, the burning bush and Jesus saying, I am. You know, that's a very yeah. clear connection. Yeah. Um, Before Abraham was... I am, Jesus says. And they fell back. They drew back. Oh, different. In, in different. But yeah, yeah. They, they, they're, the soldiers ask him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, different. Hey, hey Jesus. Yeah. I am. Yeah. Insane. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. But I, I will admit that I, in a sense, sympathize with that kind of um, conclusion. Mm. I think, like, yeah. when you read it at face value, you can you can kind of see that or at least like misinterpret or misperceive and come to that conclusion mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. um, but I think I don't know I think it might have something to do with the difference in, in covenants possibly um, because when we come to the old covenant this is a covenant that is more conditional in a sense and conditional upon the responsibility of both parties mm. both God and the the Israelites in oppo- in opposition to the new covenant which is a unilateral covenant meaning it is dependent and contingent upon the faithfulness of one party which mm-hmm. is God yeah. and it's not um, it's not the blessings and curses contingent upon obedience of the, yeah. the second party yeah. and and there was, you know, there was judgment. There was there was wrath on the people of God when they disobeyed. And this was was prophesied and predicted and warned against through the prophets. Promised. Just and as Jesus is faithful to bless the people, so will he so will he curse them should they abandon. Yeah. yeah. And that is part of the covenant. And he did. He was faithful yeah. to his promises. Definitely. And that is what it means for God to be just. Yeah. You know, we take both. Yeah both his blessings and his curses. But what I was getting at there is like, this is just a thought, you know, I'm not sure if this is, you know, totally hard and fast um, what we should stand on, but um, Jesus came to take the wrath of God and to demonstrate both the mercy and the wrath of God um, simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And so um, perhaps, you know, since the wrath of God has been placed on Jesus and genuine believers will not experience the wrath of God because of that. Perhaps we don't see as much of the wrath and judgment of God because of this inauguration of a new covenant in which the wrath of God has already been placed on mm. on someone and already taken away. So, I don't know. That's just a thought. It's just a thought that I've, that I've come to. Yeah. Yeah. But Marcionism, no, no. <laughs> Big no no. Yeah, well, it's been it's been fun. Uh, are there is there anything else you'd like to bring up, talk about before we wrap mm. up? Well, I think it's been a solid episode. I think we. Uh, Kind of naturally drifted from the original original question, but I think that's yep. totally fine. Yep. I think that's gonna happen. Usually, what happens. 
and I would I would actually yeah <laughs> I would actually like for it to continue in that manner because I don't think we can talk for an hour about our approach to the Bible. I mean, we could, but I think there's so many other topics of interest to cover. You yeah. know, there's so many, and I want to I want to be able to touch at least touch uh, a good amount of them. Yeah. We babble about the Bible. We babble. We certainly babble. Much babblage. I think we accomplished accomplished the, the mission today. <laughs> yeah. 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 And and John and I this this is the first episode, so it it deserves prefacing mm. that uh, John and I are not Bible scholars. Um, we don't even have our bachelor degrees yet. Not quite yet. Uh, and but. I mean, the truth is, we are we are students of the word. We do seek to um, to understand the word and to to live out what it commands of us to, um, according to the grace of Jesus. Yeah, definitely. Um, and we are Christ followers. We we believe in Jesus Christ. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I don't know where else going with that? But yeah. No, that's, I think that's good so listeners understand where we're coming from. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so this has been episode one of Bible Babble. I've yep. had a lot of fun. Uh, yep. I believe Garrett's had a lot of fun, hopefully. Yeah. And yeah, I want to continue to have fun with this and continue to to go over all these different different topics that, that spark curiosity and hopefully yeah. spark curiosity in our listeners as well. Yeah, and uh, I would assume that most of our listeners are attendees at Tacoa Falls College mm. um, and so if you see me or John walking to the calf just say hey uh, yeah. we listened to the podcast and we really disagreed <laughs> and, and uh, let's fight yeah, yeah fight it out we'll, we'll fight you yeah we certainly will um, yeah we would we would love to have interaction and, cool. and response from from the paparazzi as they say yeah, yeah, paparazzi. John and I are wildly popular here on campus. Um, mm. So I'd understand if mm. you want to take a picture with us. Yeah, um, autographs. And autographs. Yeah. yeah, we we uh, we're kind of planning for that, honestly. Yeah, it's kind of expected. Yeah. Out of, yeah. 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 Expected, I would say. Yeah. Expectation station. Yeah. So yeah, thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next time on episode two of Bible Babble. God made you special, and He loves you very much. <laughs>